CBD FX's CBD products are formulated to boost overall wellness and deliver calm vibes for daytime and nighttime use. CBD FX uses only organically grown hemp and all natural ingredients. CBD FX's best selling line of CBD products features wellness boosting CBD and legal Delta 9 THC gummies, oil tinctures, capsules, pens, and other products. Visit CBDFX.com today and use code Genius to get 25% off site wide plus a free CBD bath bomb with your first purchase. The code is GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners, only at cbdfx.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. My guest is Danielle Claude. She's the author of uh, award-winning Australian books, uh, the most recent of which is Koala. Her writing usually talks about natural history, uh, essay, science writing, historical fiction, and uh, some children's books as well. So glad to speak to her. Danielle, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background and what uh, turned you into a writer, and then I want to ask you about your koala book. Sure. Well, I started my career as a conservation biologist, so that's that's what I trained in at university. So I've always had a pretty long interest in uh, conservation and the environment. I had a bit of an unusual upbringing, so you know, I, I spent a lot of I was my parents lived on a boat, so I spent a lot of time. Um, in wilderness areas, I guess, and that gave me a real appreciation for the diversity of Australian environment and wild places. But I think when I finished my degree in conservation biology, I kind of fell into science writing, really, and discovered that that was something I was really passionate about and really enjoyed doing. So I've, I've pretty much been a science writer, broadly environmental writer, ever since. Oh, very nice. Okay. What's uh, your recent book? Uh, koala, is it about like the live koalas or what's it about? So koala is an exploration of, you know, trying to understand the, the history of koalas, where they came from. I mean, koalas are one of the most iconic, you know, famous animals, especially in conservation. You know, they're, they're sort of the flagship species for conservation. They generate a huge amount of public interest. They generate a huge amount of funding. People are really concerned about, you know, if they're going extinct. And yet there's a lot of anomalies in koalas. Where I live in the Adelaide Hills, uh, which is about in the in the centre of Australia, down the bottom on the south coast, it's, they're, one, they're really common here. So I, I see them not, not infrequently wandering through, through my backyard, bellowing in the trees. So I was really interested to know why it is that they're common in some places and in other places they're in dire straits and disappearing. You literally had some on your property that would wander around? Yeah, I live in a rural property, so I have a reasonably big patch of bush, bush, what we call bush, so a forest, I suppose. So yeah, koalas are, are not uncommon. They, they, you know, People see them every now and again wandering across the road or on trees alongside the roads or on walking tracks looking at looking down at you. It, it's a really lucky place to be in terms of looking at koalas. 
Yeah, that's so cool. My wife's from Zimbabwe and, you know, lived in South Africa for like 20 years. And she said little spider monkeys would come in if the windows were open and like steal silverware and shiny things. And it's so weird to have, you know, someone like you that has koalas in their yard. It's just, you know, it's so strange. Yeah, yeah. People often report them coming down to drink from, you know, they drink from bird baths or, or swimming pools in hot weather or, you know, wander past the lounge room window and have a look at you, see what you're up to. They're, they're not as, fortunately, they, they get in your house a lot less often than, than little monkeys do. Yeah, I've always wanted to hug one, you know, old one. I, I've heard that, you know, they're not very friendly or anything, but I just, that's like my life's dream is to come to Australia and just hold a koala for 30 seconds or something. I think it'd be really cool. Well, it's certainly an ambition of a lot of visitors to Australia and, you know, koalas are, are generally fairly calm animals. They're, they're not easily flustered or upset. So they've got a fairly nice temperament, really. Not all koalas are keen on being held. You know, you, you wouldn't want to do that to a wild koala. They've got really large claws and they can certainly bite. So you want to keep clear of wild koalas. But ones that have been raised in zoos, they're very carefully selected to be comfortable with people and they're only ever put in those situations if they want to be there. So the zoos are generally pretty good. If the koala decides to head off, then that's it. That's over for the day. And they only do the holdings for, you know, about 15, 20 minutes for each koala because koalas aren't awake for very long. So they, they lose interest in that activity very quickly. But they're generally trained to be comfortable at least being patted by a person or in close contact with a person. So so those experiences are pretty special in Australian zoos, but they, but they do have to be pretty carefully managed. Has anyone uh, been able to tame them? Like, you know, wild ones, if you feed them and can you eventually tame them and hang out with them or they're just irretrievably wild? No, they are very amiable animals. So, so they, they become relatively comfortable with human company on occasion different animals you know obviously there's personality differences so some never become comfortable with people but a lot of others do that like i said they, they're not particularly skittish or anxious animals the way some species are uh, i guess the issue with koalas is their difficulty their difficulty keeping them in captivity is their diet so it's really really hard to provide a good diet um, and a healthy diet to a wild koala without it being in the wild so you really have to have a forest of eucalypt trees to feed an individual koala. So most koalas need an area of forest about the size of at least a, a foot, you know, an oval, a, a sports field. And some koalas, if they're poor quality eucalypts, it'll have to be, you know, the size of Central Park. You know, it's a huge area of forest required to successfully support a koala. So that's the difficulty of having wild koalas and the limitation on keeping them in captivity they're one of the most expensive animals to keep in captivity in a zoo are they, are they only eat eucalyptus or what else do they eat they are pretty much exclusively eucalypt uh, they're specialist eucalypt feeders which is really unusual because eucalypts are pretty have a really high level of toxicity so most mammals when they eat eucalypts they feel sick basically so so koalas have to be very selective in the eucalypts that they eat they'll only eat a small range of eucalypts so there's about there's 900 species of eucalypt trees uh, in australia koalas will are known to eat about 70 they do occasionally eat a few other things but predominantly it's eucalypts and of those 71 koala will only eat three maybe 10 different species so they're very very particular because they have to have exactly the right eucalypt that they are capable of breaking down and extracting nutrients from and that's a really complex process for a koala yeah i heard they like sleep 20 hours a day 
I don't they get anything done if they sleep all the time. <laughs> well, you could ask the same thing of your dog or your cat, I suspect. They sleep a lot of the time too. Um, koalas get a bit of a bad rap for sleeping all the time, and it's true. They spend 90% of their life asleep in the tree, and people have proposed, you know, in the past it's a bit of a myth that koalas do this because they eat toxic leaves and it impacts on their brain and they have to save energy and all that sort of thing. None of that is it seems to be true. They get exactly the same amount of they have they eat exactly the same amount of leaves as a as a sheep does grass. If they weren't getting enough nutrients out of their food, they'd have to be awake longer and feeding longer. So it doesn't really make sense that they are saving energy by sleeping. What seems to be the case is that they live in a tree. They're surrounded by their food for the day or the night. They don't need to go anywhere. They're safest if they sit still. So their best form of defense is to curl up in a little ball and be invisible, which they are extremely good at. They're very hard to spot when they're in trees and not moving. And so they sleep because they can. They don't need to be awake to be worried about predators or hunting around looking for food. They can digest their food while they're asleep. So unlike a, another you know, a sheep or something that has to be awake to chew its cud. Koalas just do it all in their stomach. So why not sleep if you can? And and they make quite an art form of sleeping very comfortably in trees, as I'm sure you've seen from the photos. CBD affects full-spectrum and broad-spectrum CBD products are formulated to boost overall wellness and deliver calm vibes for daytime and nighttime use. CBDFX is offering our listeners an exclusive 25% off, which I think is very generous, plus a free CBD bath bomb with your first purchase when you use the code GENIUS. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners only at CBDFX.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX. So what other interesting things have you learned about observing them and hanging out with them that other people don't know? Look, I think they're a greatly underestimated animal. I think because, you know, they're awake at night, they're not active for very long. We tend to underestimate how diverse and interesting they are. The way they feed on the eucalypts, the way they become a specialist of eucalypt trees, which very few other animals can successfully feed on, is quite remarkable. And, and they do it by having a amazing gut biome you know we've increasingly come to appreciate how important the microbes in our stomachs are for our own health but in koalas it really is a matter of life or death so they have to receive you know the the the, the exactly right family of microbacteria in their stomach when they're weaned by their mothers um, in order to be able to feed on the trees that are in their area so having these highly adaptable and variable gut biomes is probably the secret to the koala's success and why it's been able to exploit such a wide range of different eucalypt forests across Australia because it, it, each koala has their own unique gut biome that allows it to eat the trees in the area where it's been raised. Well, what's interesting about the microbes in their gut microbiome? Have they been sampled and characterized, you know, metagenomics, like what, what's been just yeah, research in this field is really interesting and it's only just, in, you know, it's, it's fairly recent research, so it hasn't been studied a lot uh, yet, although that, that's in, happening increasingly. It's, an it's a really, really complicated area. I think this was the most difficult part of my book to write, was trying to make sense of how leaves are broken down, the chemistry and, you know, because there's all these complex things about how the pro you know because the, the plants are actually responding to being eaten and they're actively trying to stop herbivores from eating them by having 
really complicated proteins and toxins and all of these things and cellulose to try and to try and protect their nutrients. And so it's like this little chemical warfare going on in the forest all the time. And the koalas also have an amazing liver, which detoxifies the eucalypt. So the bacteria in the gut breaking down the cellulose, because mammals can't break down cellulose on their own. They all need to have gut bacteria to do that. We rely on bacteria to do that. All, all mammals that eat plant matter do that. But the toxins are broken down by the liver, and koalas have a double dose of the genes needed for detoxifying and they're so good at doing this just to give you an example it also makes it them really hard to give medicine to because they treat medic medicine as a toxin as well so a dose of if a human has chlamydia for example it's a three-day dose of medication to treat that chlamydia if a koala has chlamydia it's a 30-day dose of medication because it has to be spread out over a longer time so that they don't upset the gut bacteria but also they're extremely good at removing that medication from their system. Yeah, I've heard there's a uh, koala retrovirus that's uh, changing the population over. It's, I guess, killing certain ones and then other ones that now have the retrovirus where it's endogenized, they're breeding, and it's creating, a, I guess, a slightly different version of the koalas. Like, like, what do you see? What's the truth of it? Yeah, look, retroviruses are a really weird and amazing thing. And, you know, humans have, we have our own batch of retroviruses that have, you know, infiltrated our genome through our evolutionary history and so do koalas. And retroviruses are, you know, the, the koala retroviruses, it creates a disease a little bit like AIDS. So it attacks the immune system. And the, the danger with the retroviruses that are currently sweeping through the northern koala population, so these are the ones that are on the east coast of Australia, are that they exacerbate other diseases that koalas suffer from. And chlamydia is one of the, the worst of these. So, you know, like AIDS, if you have, if a koala has this retrovirus, then other diseases become much worse. So this is probably one of the reasons that that population is particularly struggling at the moment is the presence of those retroviruses. I mean, over time, we'd expect those retroviruses to become milder, you know, through selecting for stronger individuals, I suppose, and, and other factors that operate in diseases. And they do increase the diversity, you know, they also increase the mutation rates in animals, which can be beneficial and it can be negative. So yeah, it, it does. Retroviruses are a part of every species evolution. Well, what's happening to the koalas that have it but are not uh, are doing okay with it? Are they any different from the koalas that don't have it? Any differences or are they the same? I'm not sure about that. I mean, retro these these sort of factors occur over a long period of time, so we can only kind of assess what's happening currently on the basis of what's happened in the past. That you know, we have evidence of retroviruses in our own genomes from the past that obviously we've come to accommodate again it's like that chemical warfare in the forest that's constantly going on you, you don't notice it because it happens over such a slow time scale and you're only seeing one particular moment in time same things happening in our genetic makeup you know with ourselves and you know viruses and, and bacteria and stuff we're engaging in a constant warfare with protecting ourselves from them while we're trying to utilize our resources to advance themselves so so it's really difficult to see what the direct impact is at the moment. We'll only really know that over time. Yeah, what happened? I guess there was huge wildfires a year or two ago, or maybe more in Australia, and a lot of habitat probably got destroyed. And I know there was a center to rescue koalas and all that, and I donated to it and everything. But what, what's been your, you know, you've been there on the ground. Like, what have you seen with the wildfires? And 
the habitats of koalas over the past few years. Yeah, for sure. The increasing frequency of fires in Australia has been really major and, and clear impact of, of you know climate change. It, you know, Australia has always had a lot of fires, a natural part of our ecosystem, and a lot of our species are adapted to coping with them. They're never pleasant things to have happen, but nonetheless, most species can manage the ones that are in those fire fire areas. Koalas are particularly vulnerable to fires individually because, of course, they can't get away from them. They can't fly away. They can't really run away. All they can do is, you know, go into cool gullies and or up the tops of trees and hope that it's a cool fire. But with the fires becoming hotter and more severe and more frequent, this makes it really difficult for koalas to survive. And it also means that in areas where the fires have burnt, there's not enough koalas or forests left to repopulate the new forest back. So the koalas can't can't re-establish their population. So fires have been responsible for wiping out koalas in a number of different areas. It is really quite severe. Near me, we had a fire on Kangaroo Island, which is a place where there's koalas have been established for their safety. So they're a translocated population. It's one of the biggest and healthiest populations in the country. It had 48,000 koalas on the island. Um, before the fires that impacted there a couple of years ago, and 40,000 individuals are estimated to have died in those fires. So one fire can have an absolutely massive impact on koala populations, and and that was really apparent in the East Coast fires and in in the um, Black Summer fires. Are there different species of koalas? Like, are there any on Tasmania that are different from, you know, in Australia or different parts of Australia? Are they radically different? There used to be a thought that there were different species of koalas in Australia, but you know the recent research suggests no, they're all the same. There's a slight difference in there's two populations which are slightly different in form. So the northern koalas up the east coast of Australia are a bit smaller. They have thinner pelts, slightly different colour. So they're a bit more adapted to the hot weather, basically. And the southern koalas, which stretch across the the southeastern coastline tend to be bigger. They're, they're quite a bit bigger and, and much thicker pelts, but they're actually the same species. There's no species difference between them. And there's no koalas in Tasmania or Western Australia. So they probably, they may have been there in the past and they certainly were in Western Australia in the past. They've gone extinct with the retraction of the forests. Oh, no. There's no Perth koalas? No, there's some koalas in Perth, only in the wildlife parts. Um, I'm sure koalas would love to re-establish themselves in WA. They were certainly there 45,000 years ago, so there's no reason why they could, couldn't come back. But whether that would be acceptable to the current human residents is another matter. Um, so what are some of the uh, the questions that you're looking to answer about koalas or what, what big questions did you explore in your book? I guess the big question I was interested in in the book is why are they doing so well in some parts of Australia and not so well in others? And what does that mean? I, koalas are often pitched as an animal that's made bad life, life choices. You know, it eats toxic leaves, it sleeps all the time, it's not very bright. We often pitch it like pandas as an animal that's doomed to extinction. And this is something that recurs through the literature we hear about them. Inevitably, they're going to go extinct. My research suggests that, you know, that's not the case at all. They're actually supremely well adapted to their environment, of course, as you'd expect most animals to be. But also, they're actually incredibly resilient. They do suffer from near, they have suffered from near extinction events several times in their past, some caused by humans, some not, but they bounce back remarkably well. So... I think the, the thing for me is that 
koalas are an incredibly resilient species. And if they're doing badly, we are really doing something wrong with our environment. There's something really, they're like the canary in the coal mine. I mean, it's the koala in the forest. A, a healthy koala population, they're a peak species for a forest. So if you've got a healthy koala population, you've got a really healthy forest system, Australian forest system. So we really should be using koala populations as an indicator of how well we're managing our forests and our natural environment. And at the moment, we're not doing that well. Okay. Well, what do you think will be the future of koalas in Australia over the next few years? You know, a long term, I know it's hard to predict, but maybe the next few years, what do you see? Yeah, look, I mean, certain populations will continue doing fine. In You know, the southern populations are, are probably fairly stable for the moment. The East Coast populations are definitely in dire straits. And, and, part, and the main factor causing that is continued land clearance and continued native forest logging. So we're still logging the forest, which changes the nature of the forest for the koalas. It simply removes habitat, but it also removes, changes the types of trees that trees that the koalas feed on are no longer there. So those are the two big factors, and they're the things that are happening in the East Coast. We, generally speaking, as a broad principle, we need to do better at protecting our trees, replacing and expanding the tree coverage. You know, but that's a major factor in mitigating climate change. So, so we all need to be doing that, not just people who have koalas in their forests, but people all around the world. We need to do, be doing much better at looking after our trees and making sure they're able to look after us. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, very good. What's the best way for people to find out more about your work? I mean, with you, it's, it's pretty direct, you know, read your book. So the koala book, is it also like a movie or is it just a book? And if so, where can people get it? Yeah. So the koala book is available at the moment in hardback in the US and, and worldwide. It'll be issued in paperback next year. And, you know, if you want to find out more more about my work, you can look on my website. So it's danielleclode.com.au or follow me on Twitter or Instagram or any of those social media places. I've got a pretty recognizable name, so I'm pretty easy to find. Well, very good. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, maybe one day I can visit you and hang out with some of the koalas in your yard. <laughs> that sounds so, great. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Remember, before you go, check out CBDFX.com for the best in organic, all-natural CBD products, both for you and your pets. Boost your wellness today and get 25% off your first order, plus get a free CBD bath bomb when you use code GENIUS at checkout. That's code G-E-N-I-U-S. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners only at CBDFX.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.